You're listening to Tov, a podcast about the good place and Jewish ideas. Hi, I am so excited to be here today with Sari Laufer, my colleague. Uh, Sari, where do you rabbi? I rabbi at Stephen Wise Temple in Los Angeles, so I'm sending you a cross-country hello. Uh, once again, Sari is another one of those people who I've talked about this podcast with for a long time, so it's really great to have you here. Of the main characters on The Good Place, who are you most like, Sari? So I, I have to confess, you did prepare me for this, and I'm going to answer, but before I answer, I'm going to read a quote from another gem of pop culture. Maybe you can guess what it is. You'll get to it at the end. Dear Mr. Vernon, we accept the fact that we had to sacrifice a whole Saturday in detention for whatever it was we did wrong, but we think you're crazy to make us write an essay telling you who you, we think we are. You see us as you want to see us in the simplest terms, in the most convenient definitions. But what we found out is that each of us is a brain and an athlete and a basket case, a princess and a criminal. Does that answer your question? Sincerely yours, The Breakfast Club. <laughs> uh, might that be from the end of The Breakfast Club? It is indeed. <laughs> and I was thinking about it in thinking about this question. Um, so I'm going to say, like, I think on the surface and it like, uh, I'm not sure when I like, I think on the surface. I, probably most people would be like Tahani. But what I real what I was talking about and the reason I brought the Breakfast Club quote, which I love, is that I actually think, like as I was thinking about it, like there's no character that like everyone wants to be. Like part of I think the point of the show and the like brilliance of the cast and the the idea of this cast is that like like Every one of us is a little bit selfish, like Eleanor, right? And every one of us is a little bit shallow, like Tahani. And every one of us, right? Like th that there is this idea that, you know, we may project something out into the world or we may not, but each of us is the brain, the basket case, the athlete, right? Like each of us has a little bit of all of that, including like the devil, <laughs> you know, and the, the, the wondrous knower within us. Uh, the movie star, the professor and Marianne. You right. could say almost, sure. um, to date myself a little bit. Um, I think this is hilarious how uh, rabbis are answering this question. This is just like, a, <laughs> I really just meant this as like a, an easy question to get. No, <laughs> I think it's like, a, because, because I, 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 in some ways, I also think like that might, that is part of the show, right? Well, is of course. Creating it, these characters where like each one has something that you were so deeply drawn to and each one has such deep flaws and you're sort of like oh right like that is the human condition i absolutely uh think this and as i'm rewatching the show i am revising what i am learning about myself through in relationship to them no question and i thought that for those who uh, hope like you sari will be a recurring uh, co-host here that you know we'll check in and see if you think of your main your main mm -hmm. character feature who do you think you're most like well i'm gonna since we're only a few a few chapters oh, you're, in, you're I, reserving. Will, i'm gonna no no i already said that i think i'm more so cheaty so i'll stick with that for the time being you know, for those of you uh, tracking and your scorecards so far of the five rabbis uh, who have uh, been on the podcast, including myself, we have three cheaties and a tie uh, of one apiece for Michael and Tahani. You are our first Tahani rabbi. Uh, you want to go for which of the characters you wish you were more like? 
I mean, that to me, it's funny, that to me is the harder question, right? Because like, then I was sort of like, well, that's where I got to the like, oh my God, all of these fatal flaws. Maybe of the ones I want to be more like, it actually would be Michael, not for the demonic side, but for like, I think that he has this sort of unbridled curiosity about the world. Yeah, I think in some ways that's that's a probably more revealing question. That's the question we, we most, uh, it's kind of least difficult to evade. By the way, I'm a person who hates, uh, there are two things that I, I hate being asked like to, ex- to describe myself like ever at all. And I'm also, since I'm a classic uh, overthinker, I, I also, you know, angst over which of these. Right. What's your good place origin story? My husband would tell you that the first time we tried to watch it, I just was like, I don't like this. I don't think it's that funny. Like, you know, I, and I don't remember, I think we probably first watched it like when it first came out I don't remember what year that was I was trying to think where it was in our life but I just sort of was like hey like I maybe wasn't in a sitcom place like it was probably a couple of years ago maybe two or three years ago that he was like we have to do this like you have to do this specifically and we have to do this and so I did we did and I was like oh this is actually very funny and better than very funny this is very smart So we're here talking about the episode Chapter 5, Category 55, Emergency Doomsday Crisis. Sari, give us the summary. It opens at the frozen yogurt place where, first of all, there's this huge number of choices uh, because they felt bad about the sinkhole that had opened up on the last, at the end of the last episode. Uh, And at the frozen yogurt place, Eleanor surprises herself by letting Gunnar go ahead of her in line without even thinking about it. She says, why don't you just go ahead? Uh, And then she like runs home to to tell Chidi. And then Chidi in his class is introducing the concept of utilitarianism to Jason and Eleanor, uh, which Jason actually surprisingly successfully explains back with a reference to Donkey Doug, his dance group, and a black market alligator dealer. Then we switch to Tahani's house where she is following Michael and Janet and happens to overhear them discussing the fact that despite uh, what they might have told the neighborhood, the sinkhole is actually growing. Uh, And then when they leave for the Category 55 emergency, she discovers this screen where she what she sees what she thinks is everyone's current point score. And, you know, she looks and she's looking and she finds out that she has the second lowest rating in the whole neighborhood, which for her is quite triggering because, you know, much of her origin story is based on feeling that she was always the second choice. And so she flashes back to scenes from her life where um, we see her parents and the world prefer preferring her sister Camilla's, you know, extraordinary talent and persona to her own. Then we find Eleanor hungry for learning, right? She suddenly become the star student and wants to do more of the ethics lessons and keep going. And Chidi is sort of looking for ways to put it off. Uh, and when she does her Eleanor thing and sort of presses him on it, he admits that teaching her is not his idea of paradise. Uh, and then as their argument like really comes to a head and Chidi is actually getting ready to move out, Michael announces to the neighborhood that they are on lockdown. Uh, no one can leave where they are because of the sinkhole situation. Uh, and in sort of a perfect moment, Michael brings another couple to crash with Eleanor and Chidi, Nina and Bart. And we find out that Nina had been a couples counselor and an author of books on marriage. And Bart, who is an identity theft investigator, who is an expert in body language and nonverbal communication. Eleanor and Chidi are having a significant fight and argument. They see it and Chidi opens up that he never had a soulmate in life. Then we go back um, to Tahani, who is 
explaining to Michael that she saw the rankings and how is she, you know, second to last in the neighborhood. And he explains that I think this was important. He explains that the point tally stops the moment you die. Uh, and so that she should think of herself not as the low score, but actually really, you know, in the, in the span of human history to be on where she is on that list, it actually means she's one of the very best humans in the world. Then Janet announces to the neighborhood the sinkhole has been repaired. Eleanor explains to Chidi that she understands his predicament and surprises him with a lovely gift. But then Michael tells Eleanor they did not, in fact, fix the sinkhole and that the two of them are going to need to meet and get to the bottom of what caused it, what's wrong, and how they're actually going to fix it. Thank you. Well, what, uh, what's your fan thing about, or some of them, about this episode? It's funny. I, I was trying to think, like, this, oh, I mean... Here's what I will actually say. I'm a big uh, GIF user in real life. I communicate often in GIFs, and one that I actually find myself using a lot is the like, in, what became, I think, infamous is Eleanor's telling Chidi, you know, the whole thing, the whole thing, the whole thing, because yeah, basic. <laughs> um, and so I do, I will admit that that's probably, I was funny, I was thinking about this episode that I was like, this one doesn't like grab me immediately as one that like deeply moves everything forward. And so I was like, do I have a moment? Um, but I think that's probably it, right? That's like the, the classic moment of that episode. I loved this episode. I laughed so much. At the very beginning, the, I, I learned from listening to the official Good Place podcast that it's fun to watch things like the hundreds of, of uh, yogurt flavors that are there. Did you, did you do any of that? I did a little bit. I always love, and, and they don't show it on this episode, like it, every time they change the name, of the shops and the yogurt place, it cracks me up. Like every single time I find myself like poking my husband or elbowing him and giggling because I really do like it. They are so funny to me. So Janet mentions, you know, why don't you try, I think, full cell phone. Full charge. cell phone battery. Some of the ones I picked out and it was hard because they were kind of blurry. When very, you yeah, they were very blurry. Netflix. Clean house, Ooh. unexpected hotel upgrade. Uh, you and I have been at some uh, nice hotels for conferences. Yeah, I think we would appreciate that. I think the I think what one said is panoply of exuberance, which I can only mm-hmm. imagine was the writer's room like super late at night after <laughs> a whole lot of ice cream. And then there was this one, which uh, your favorite theme song. So I don't know. Do you have a favorite theme song of any particular show? Oh, man. So I think like Cheers is probably the best theme song. Like, But there's also like the nostalgic Full House theme song. Um, I'm like... And and for me, anyone who knows me, if you were listening to this, obviously Beverly Hills 90210. Like, oh, yeah. My- <laughs> Wait, do you live anywhere near there? Yeah, not far. Yeah. <laughs> do you want to you sing us a few, a bar or hummus, a bar? I don't think you want to hear me song. sing, but. <laughs> da, da, na, na, da, da, na, na. That's like the, the moment. I, I was thinking about, uh, I'm trying to figure out ways to get around, not to get around uh, copyright law. That's a terrible way to say this, um, <laughs> to ways to function within the law, because I had this idea that it just popped into my head, and I'm not a musical creative person, that I heard this melody in my head I've been using at the top of this podcast, <laughs> bum, ba, bum, 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 and I heard it leading into the Good Place theme, bum, 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 bum. so there, I don't think I violated any laws no, by I think you're talking fine. about that there. And um, the first thing for those of you who are wondering, like where this, if, if the 
uh, thing I've been using as our uh, opening music is is anything. It's a, a few bars uh, based on the song called Eliyahu Hanavi, um, Elijah the prophet, who in our tradition is uh, considered to be the one who comes and checks in on us um, as a group or sometimes on individual people like new babies to see whether uh, the world is ready to become a place that is totally a good place. Uh, you could almost say it's a concept of Messiah or Mashiach that maybe we'll explore in another episode of the podcast. So there I got to talk about theme song. I think that when <laughs> it's not a big Jason Mendoza episode, but when he it describes about the uh, the issue, I knew this girl, Sheila, she was a black market alligator dealer with a pierced jawbone and how she was going to marry uh, Donkey Doug, member of his group, and move him to Sarasota, Sarasota. Sarasota. <laughs> break up our dance group. So I thought, I thought that was the example, which is okay. There's the the good of the dance group against the happiness of one of one man or one couple. But then he adds the thing about I hit a bunch of stolen boogie boards <laughs> in, in Sheila's garage and called the cops. And <laughs> I thought that's one the the way the writing is so awesome that they layer the, they take the joke oh, yeah just they take it like they take it just further. that much further. Totally. Um, I also, I also like, love Chidi's reaction, right? Because like. I think as teachers, like all of us have been there when like someone starts a story and you're like, I don't, I don't see how that's going to get there. And then like he does. And she is basically like, that is a shockingly relevant example, right? Like he's like, oh, oh, you actually got there. It's actually one of the things I kind of love uh, in the show is I think, especially, uh, especially Jason and Eleanor, right? That like when they do take these very high level concepts and like put them in terms like I think that's part of the brilliance of the show right they put them in terms that me sitting at home I'm like yeah like I can I can I can that feels relevant I can resonate with that or I can imagine that in my own life you know I think it's actually just one of the things they do so brilliantly yes and I think that um, clearly uh, black market alligator dealers is a point of reference that everybody would immediately get well I mean I think now like after the the proliferation of Tiger King like we get it actually Yeah. Like the, the black market dealership of wild animals feels like something that is in the in the ethos. Eleanor says, I'm revved up to learn, man. My brain is horny. <laughs> and uh, I like how Michael talks about he's mastering his brunch conversation and small talk. That's... <laughs> I like, I like, you know, again, being being a being either a cheaty or someone who wants to be like him. I just love his ways of saying, you know, when he's in his emotional state of like uh, his mind exploding and when i think it's when the uh, when the, the the other couple comes in and they're describing who they are and he says cool 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 you know, yeah. way way better and uh, it reminds me like that meme that's out there like like with everything on fire it's like it's fine i'm fine everything's fine <laughs> he's like cool cool and he's and there he says this is an extremely precarious situation i am vexed and <laughs> Right, with that like deadpan. Vexed. I am vexed. Vexed. (laughs) Vexed. Which is a word I don't think people ever use other than in writing. Do people use, I don't think people use the word I don't think people use it. Out loud um, too much, yeah. Uh, Did you bring a particular idea or text related to this episode? I did. I brought two. Oh, good. Much like the alligator story, the second one I think is like a much bigger stretch. So the first one, I will confess, like I actually think it is a, a text that, for me, animates like all of the good place. Like it's not specifically this episode, but I thought of it immediately 
actually like when Eleanor leaves the frozen yogurt place and runs home to tell Chidi like, I just, I let him go in front of me, let him go in front of me. Good person, good person, right? <laughs> and so I was thinking, and maybe it's also because it's Elul and we're, you know, as we were talking about like in high holy day prep, both logistical and spiritual, I was thinking there is a Maimon, a teaching for Maimonides, who is a I don't know, medieval scholar. And he, I don't, I can't pull up the exact citation, but I looked at it earlier and I'm sure it's in Hilchot Tshuva. It is in Hilchot Tshuva, in the laws of Tshuva. And I want to say it's chapter three, Perak three, like chapter three, number three, but don't quote me on that, where he basically says, I'm paraphrasing, that there is a scenario in the in sort of the world of Chuba and, and he's talking specifically about sort of like the time between the High Holy Days, between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, when our tradition says the book of life is open, right? And, and our tradition basically says like, if you are all good, you are immediately sealed into the book of life. And if you were all bad, you're not. But then our tradition goes on to like consider the fact that 98% of us, probably 99% of us fall in the middle, like, which is so deeply what this, so that image alone speaks to me about the good place, because like, I think that is what it's about, right? Mm -hmm. Like setting aside, I do love Mindy St. Clair, right? Setting aside the, the middle place, like this idea that most, right, like the complication for the good place is that like, there's almost no one in the world who is completely and wholly good all the time. And then there's also this teaching that he goes on to say, like talking about scenarios in which like one good deed can basically outweigh all of your bad deeds. So like you have, you know, if you have your scales of justice and like you're pretty heavy on, on like not making the right choices, but you do one thing that is just so good that it balances them out or maybe even weighs you in favor of the good and vice versa. Can you be like good, good, good. And then you do something so bad that it outweighs. And so I was like thinking to myself, like, does Eleanor really think that like her one time of letting someone go ahead of her, right? Like she seems to be acting as if like her one time going ahead, letting someone go ahead of her in a line, like, and doing it joyfully, like, that's it. That is her deed that like, you know, either balances everything out or actually like flips her to like, I'm a great person. Yes. Um, yeah. So I was thinking about those texts. I really, I love, I was thinking about that moment too, because she, she runs and she's so glowing. In fact, I think I wrote down that the, like, there's a music, I wonder if I'm right about this, that yes, you know, actually, the, the we listened to a lot of Frozen a few years ago at my house, you know, talking about Kristen Bell. And I think that the music that they have while she has this realization, oh my God, I did that nice thing for Gunner, is like based on one of the songs that oh. on the on the extras. And I would totally recommend the the frozen like extras. Oh, we we are deep things. in the Disney Pandora pantheon. Like we are we are deep. <laughs> I have heard the extras. Yeah, considering that that what's on the board is the utilitarianism thing and how about mm -hmm. we measure in a very kind of almost objective way all the deeds. Like I was so excited about her excitement in a way that that almost I didn't believe even after Chidi deflates her and it's like, but did you bring me the yogurt? And she's like, oh, can you go back? And like, right. But totally, like she totally like the moment is gone, but it seems to transform her. And and I felt really good after seeing that, too. So do you go with that teaching of how do you take that teaching of one good deed can somehow erase or add up out of proportion? So part of why I put it in context, I think for me of the two books is that like maybe for that moment or for that year, if that's your theology, if you believe that, right? Like for that moment, it balances out. But like in in some ways, like her reaction, like of the like, 
oh, I had to run and it was so, right. Like she immediately yeah. goes back to her sort of default. And so like this idea that like it might balance for a minute, but then it goes right back, right? So that it's this sort of constant, no one can see my hands, this constant <laughs> seesaw, right? That it's, that, so maybe Maimonides is not talking about really a one, like that it is a one time and it's also a recurring, ongoing, constant sort of struggle in there. It does motivate her learning in the episode, even after she's like, oh, yeah, you're right. I didn't bring the yogurt. First, she regroups and says, I'll go get it. But then she's like totally excited. She thinks that the class is actually helping her. And she doesn't say anything at this point about it's like preventing her from going to the bad place. She seems to actually be pleased with herself at being at improving as a person in her soul. Right. And I think about, you know, I'm trying to think like with I have little kids at home. Right. And so, like, you know, when like we talk about it all the time of like rewarding good, like rather than punishing the behavior you don't love, like the idea of like rewarding this good behavior. And so like, and it's what I think is most interesting, at least in this case, like Eleanor seems to be someone who is sometimes motivated by external rewards, like the free shrimp, (laughs) you know, but this really actually does seem to be her own sense of self of like, I, I did the right thing. Like I did it. No one forced me to, right? Like she really seems proud of herself. And I I read something recently that really made me think in terms of parenting. And I've been trying to shift it that like, you know, often parents say, and I think deeply feel like I'm so proud of you. You know, so my daughter learned to swim this summer. And I, you know, I found myself saying, but I read something that said like, in addition, or maybe instead of saying, I'm so proud of you, saying to a kid, like, are are you so proud of yourself? Right, because then I read it, the, the I don't remember who, probably some pediatrician or psychologist that I follow on Instagram, if I'm being honest, but said like that way we are training our children to look for validation from within rather than from outside. And I thought that that was such an interesting, and I think that that's where Eleanor went, right? Like she didn't have anyone say to her, like, that was so nice of you, or like, wow, I've never seen you do that. Or like, and she didn't say like, I'm so proud of you for making that choice. Right? Like she came home and was like, I, I, I did the right thing. Or maybe I like went even, I think for her, she would say like, I went above and beyond. I didn't just do the right thing. Like I did something extra. <laughs> and, and obviously the good place goes with this whole premise of the, the book, although it's a computer screen where all things are recorded, very, right. very parallel to our uh, metaphorical. And again, for a lot of you who are troubled by this idea of there being a book with our scores in Judaism, I don't believe that, but I think the metaphor is, is really powerful. Like there is some standpoint outside of ourselves and that's keeps what keeps tripping me up. Um, I was, I was realizing that, this is where part of where my stomach ache about the episode came. And my stomach ache, I think, was cheaties of, is this philosophy helping me do more than just frame these questions, but actually answer them? Because when he, because uh, he talks about utilitarianism and the, the greatest good or the greatest amount of pleasure. And then we get to Hani, and her problem is not that she ha- doesn't, that, you know, she's so far in a way beyond Eleanor in terms of the amount of good things that she did in life. And her problem is that, her sister is being regarded as having done more, raising more money, you know, or her artwork is more, is more amazing. I just have to say this where here is the um, when the when the parents, these horrendously awful parents are looking at their the, 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 the bird, the bird, the sculpture bird in the drawing. And her sister Camilla says, I grew tired of objective representation. I trust my audience. And then little Tahani comes and says, my birdie has a hat. <laughs> 
<laughs> that was great. Anyway, but Tahani is like wrestling this on a whole other level, which is like, am I, I thought I was great and am I great enough? Right. And Eleanor is like, you know, I was a crappy person and maybe I could be nice to somebody. And, and we're being guided through the show to like take both of those things seriously. And my mind is a little exploding now about whether, you know, in light of Tahani, like, like why should she care about this? You know, it's so, it's so, um, you talk about basic, yeah, basic. <laughs> so I don't know. So that's again, I'm sort of go around in circles for myself about like the value of a of a good deed. And now Chidi gets frustrated because he and I love his dilemma here too because he's he knows that like he can do a lot of good by teaching Eleanor and uh, Jason, and maybe he's getting more satisfaction teaching Jason. I don't know who at least gets the concepts, whatever's happening to him. But he, but he describes his dilemma as like, I know that, like, objectively, I do a lot of measurable good by teaching you, but it is, it is draining me. It's giving the whatever good feeling you have, right? Um, it's taking, I, I'm right. having, I'm having bad feelings, and I'm having bad thoughts because, right? And is it meant to be? Yeah. I think it is, right? Like, is it meant to be a, a in the moment example of utilitarianism? do the most good and cause the least pain and is Chidi coming and saying like I I know I am doing good but is that equal to or actually even less than the pain that I am experiencing right like am I a, my own utilitarian example and he's questioning I think the premise of utilitarianism by saying I know that my suffering in this situation is is less than your uh, growth and pleasure is worth out of it so I know that I have to continue to do uh, what I'm doing, like object, like from a moral point of view, if I'm a utilitarian, I would have to keep teaching you no matter uh, what it's doing to me. And, uh, and so he raises that, that kind of internal question about, uh, you know, is his, is his own, is his own experience worth anything in the face of that? And does the way he feels as he's trying to, to do that, which I, I really loved I really love that. You know, I think sometimes people decide essentially like, should he teach the Tahanis or should he teach the Eleanor? Should he right. take people who are like at an amazing level and help them be even better? Or do you teach the the person who doesn't, uh, you know, let's say you're a scholar of another subject, you know, math or something. Should you teach uh, algebra right. to kids who are having trouble with it? Or should you teach like advanced math to people who are going to figure out how to, you know, um, solve global warming? So can I bring you my second text? Oh, yeah. This one's like a little out of the blue. So you actually cited the Eleanor, my brain is horny line, um, you know, and I think one of the things that's great, especially in the early episodes, is the way that they, you know, going back to the Breakfast Club, we're all a little, I think in, um, certainly in religious thought, um, definitely in Christian thought, but I'm going to bring you, I think, a Jewish text that speaks to it, right, this, the, the sort of mind-body disconnect, right, this idea of like, there's the life of the mind, and the life of the body and sort of never the twain shall meet. Uh, and that the life of the mind is somehow higher and better and purer than the life of the body. And I think at the beginning, obviously not spoiler alert, not all the way through, but certainly at the beginning, I think Chidi is presented as like the mind, like he lives only in his brain. The only thing his body does is cause him pain, <laughs> the stomach ache, right? <laughs> and Eleanor, I think represents the body, like hedonistic, she is comfortable with her sexuality. She talks about it. Like she likes a margarita. Like she embodies body. And so the, the text that I was thinking of is the story of Shimon Bar Yochai and the cave. So there's a story of a, a rabbi who is basically on, on the lamb. He's on the run from the Romans and ultimately ends up 
with his son hiding in a cave for 12 years. And the, according to the, the story, according to the legend, they spend most of their time buried up to their neck in sand, naked, but buried in sand. And like three times a day, they come out, put on clothes, pray, and go back into the sand. And I, I, um, I, I am sure that um, Boyarin, the, the scholar, talks about this, but I heard, I wish I could say, I don't remember who taught it to me this way, but like I was profoundly moved by hearing it taught as that debate, right, that, that I think the, our traditional rabbis also have between the mind and the body in that they like their, their idealized world, not unlike Chidi, right, is in the Beit Midrash, in the space of books and learning and conversation. And yet a number of them have to also exist in the world, right, whether it's as a vintner or a cobbler, they are fathering children, Right, so like there is some body, but yet the idealized world is still that of the mind. Uh, and, and the Bar Yochai story continues, right? When they first leave the cave and they see people acting in, in the world, they're so distraught by it of like, how could these people be doing anything other than learning and praying that they their, their eyes shoot lasers, right? It's actually a very good place, right? Their eyes shoot lasers and burn up everything they see and they actually have to go back to the cave to learn how to sort of mitigate that. And so I, like, I do think that, that, I don't know if it's intentional, but I was think, I think in my rewatching both of this episode and I did a recent rewatch of the whole show that there is some of that mind body that I think actually Chidi and maybe a little bit Tahani because she sort of lives in this rarefied world of like art and music, but Chidi especially represents mind and certainly Jason and Eleanor are just sort of all body. When we meet them and like part of the, the series, right. And that moment where she's like, you know, my brain is horny. And he's sort of like, oh, I don't know what to do with that. Much of the show is like each of them getting a little bit of the other. That is so interesting. I, I was noticing in this particular episode that Chidi essentially says like standing by the blackboard, which you would think like is, is his mind, you know, like his ideal place to be that he's, he finds that, to be draining, at least in this particular way. And he has this image, although although he later says it was just theoretical, of sitting on a boat in the water reading poetry and drinking fine wine. And in a way he can't even like his even his idea of what like bodily pleasure is. It's just right. a, it's like, a construct. Right. It's a construct and it's solo. Right? Like he doesn't say like I'm with somebody. It's just like I my nose is, but his nose is still in a book. Yeah, that is interesting. But he does um like you could see I, I was thinking about this, I was talking with my colleague Sarit who I work with here and we were discussing the ceremony of Tashlich, which it will will for those listening to this in the season we're recording it is where we, we kind of physically go to a, a body of water, a river or something flowing, maybe by you it's the ocean, Sari, and and we take something that's breadcrumbs. Traditionally breadcrumbs, although I learned that actually breadcrumbs are bad for things that live on and near water, so something else that would be okay for them to eat. But anyway, if we physically kind of use our body to rid ourselves of something and and that's that our bodies really are connected to our our cleansing of the soul comes through through an act of the body in a way that's so different from sitting for hours in a religious service, uh, which definitely you and I are both also going to do coming up. So so what else would you extend that analogy or, or who would you place in the Shimon Bar Yochai story else in any way? The Shimon Bar Yochai story actually starts with three slash four rabbis, right, who are all in conversation about the the Roman world, 
right? And and how one interacts with the Roman world, right? And one, um, and I don't have it in front of me, so I'm not going to try to cite who says what. You know, one of the rabbis is basically like, I mean, they're not the best people, but like they built these beautiful, like, you know, these aqueducts and these bathhouse. Like, look at look at the culture that they create, right? So maybe that's Tahani, who like deeply enmeshes herself in sort of the the creative world, you know, and and highbrow culture. Uh, and then one of the I'm trying to think, one basically says like. Yeah, they do all of that, but only for their own benefit. That's, I think, Bar Yochai, right? Or one is, I don't remember what he says, but he's sort of exiled. Right? So like, maybe that's Michael, right? The one who, um, like, I don't think it it maps exactly. Yeah. Um, but like, right, there is this idea that there were other people in that conversation who interact with the world differently. That's also very Monty Python appropriate <laughs> for Tahani. What have the Romans ever done for us? <laughs> You're saying that Tahani's struggle to sort of figure out where she where she rates is which side of the which side of the equation are you putting her on? I guess. Oh, in terms of, I don't know if I'm putting her in the story. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I think the thing that's interesting about Tahani and Eleanor, who I think I mean by gender whatever they are sort of you know have a like they're maybe two sides of a coin to some extent like that in some ways Eleanor had no expectations placed on her outside, right? Like the world sort of wrote her off, you know, like she always says, like, I'm trash from Arizona, mm. right? And then there's Tahani for whom all of the expectations were placed. And like, it, what I think is interesting is I actually think both exceed their expect the expectations placed on them, right? I think Eleanor does at least in once she gets into the good place, unclear about before. Yeah. Um, and Tahani does, but like, can't be seen that way. My stomach ache around this episode comes from a couple places. One is, and and so- Is it the hundred flavors of yogurt? Because I feel like that's where Chidi's stomach ache would come from. You know, surprisingly, I have a way, I start with things that have coffee, coconut, and bananas, or mocha, coconut, and bananas. Like, that's where I, I start. And then if I find some, if I can't find something there, then I cross anything with strawberries off and then I sort of work with what's what's around. But so surprisingly, actually not. That's the I, I do OK at uh, at ice cream places. I think first is my question of do do these philosophical constructs actually help? Because it's the when when Eleanor comes in, she's basically uh, she's just been learning the previous episodes about Aristotle and how habituating good acts creates good character. And she's like, OK, Aristotle, that's working. Who died and put Aristotle in charge of ethics? Plato. That was from a previous, <laughs> Plato. Previous episode. Excellent line. I just have any excuse to repeat that line. Um, and then um, Chidi says, "Okay, now let's talk about like a wider picture, utilitarianism, and that kind of shifts the perspective. And most of the rest of the show is kind of most of the rest of this episode is kind of focused on that. And we and it is a big question in ethical philosophy as to which is the most more important frame. And most of us, most of the time." I think when we talk about uh, our our actions, that uh, we do think we think a lot. We talk the language of you know kind of cost benefit about everything, everything, everything. But there is a way in which intrinsically we look at ourselves and and other people up close, and we judge in terms of, of virtues and and ethical behavior. So I don't know. In my very first ever moral philosophy class, this was like laid out there, and like I don't know. Um, you know, where the answer is. And then obviously my other stomach ache is, okay, is, are these Jewish concepts helping 
give a frame that's different or they're just giving a name that's just kind of a different name to to these same kinds of things and um you know i find that like eleanor's story in this episode is more compelling or maybe chidi's is too like discovering himself as the teacher what he's going to have to do and how he's going to have to integrate in a way he's got to think about himself and his own personal journey through this as part of his teaching so that's really important um but is any of that as important as the the millions of dollars of uh million i'm sorry the millions of uh, pounds sterling which are raised in the other episode and i don't know why this bothers me so much but it it does I think another thing I was thinking about that sometimes we think about um, what the ethical standard is for ourselves and the good we should do in terms of where we were placed in history. So, you know, I was born a few years too late to like decide whether I should go marching for civil rights in the sixties. I was born in the mid sixties. So I was just a, just a teeny one. I didn't, I didn't have that opportunity. So maybe there's a kind of greatness, which is not available to me that would have, but then I'm thinking the other situation is that I've been in cohorts of people um, some of whom are like now sub cabinet officials or actually cabinet officials in other countries. And so I do the Tahani thing a lot, which is uh, which is to look around and say, well, how, why am I not that person? Why wasn't I the person who went to who negotiated a uh, rescue of someone who was trapped in Saudi Arabia and got them back safely? Like, what have I done? And, and if I'm cheaty like, like what teaching have I done that? Like, even if you add all of that up, it's going to add up to that. So that's, that's, I think this episode made me go back to that place. So, and look, again, maybe it's the time of year, right, that we're recording this. I don't know when everyone's listening, but like we're recording this, you know, a couple of weeks before the the new year. So I'm going to bring out like one of the oldie but goodie stories that I think like answer or at least asks that in a different way. Right of of there's a rabbi on his deathbed and all of his students saying you know aren't you worried that God's going to ask you why you weren't like Abraham or why you weren't like Moses and the rabbi very famously says like I'm not worried about that because I'm not Abraham and I'm not Moses but what I am worried about is if the if God asked me why weren't you Zusha right like why weren't you the best you that you could be and so I think again I think that is also playing out in the good place of like Eleanor's never going to be Tahani right like. And, and I don't know that Tahani is better than Eleanor, mm. right, as a, as a human, but like Eleanor's never going to be that, you know, Jason's never going to be cheap, right, but like, how can Eleanor be a better Eleanor than she was on earth? And so like, that might be the answer, right? Like, I'm, you know, I, I think about that all the time, right? Like, you know, people, I, you know, Supreme Court justices and, you know, Lynn, if you're listening, right, like, I went to school with the people, who, the person who wrote Hamilton and Frozen, um, you know, like, I'm not writing Hamilton, and I'm not writing Frozen, you know, but like, am I doing good in the places where I am? Again, trust me, like, there are times when I'm like, why, I wish I had, you know, like, but I didn't, and I can't, and so maybe I have to, like, worry about, like, they're not going to ask me, why weren't you Lin-Manuel Miranda? Hi, Lynn, you know, or why weren't you Bobby Lopez? Hi, Bobby. But like, I do imagine being asked like, well, why weren't you the best Siri? (laughs) And I just want to go back to answering two questions that you asked first around, like, are the answers or the frames useful? And I'm not sure. I'm not um, like a moral philosophy person. Like it, to some extent, like the theories a little bit go one in, in one ear and out the other, like sometimes a little something sticks, but like, if you sat me down and like listed five philosophers and were like, what is their philosophy? I'd be like, "Mm." I can, if you ask me about Kant, I'm going to be like, okay, there are moral absolutes, right? Like I know that, but 
you know, what I find, and I find it a lot in my learning with, with folks these days, right, is coming just constantly, any text, everything coming back to certain like big life questions. So that like in some ways, maybe the frames might be helpful for some people because they are a way of sort of categorizing answers to these big, big, big questions, but that ultimately it's still our engagement with the question that matters. So that's one thing that I want to say. Um, for any of you out there who can't define utilitarianism, though now you can because you know about Donkey <laughs> Dog, and that's always how I'm, that's how I'm going to remember it forever. Um, and then the the second piece is around the Jewish piece. You know, I think from the from the first time I watched it, and my husband is a rabbi's kid, so you know he he was there with me in this conversation, right? Like the premise is flawed from the start from a Jewish point of view because while there is there are certainly visions of afterlife in Jewish tradition. I do think sort of good place, bad place feels much more Christian to me. And, and I think the, the conversation in, in the whole show, right, that is ultimately asking this question of like, what do I need to do on earth in order to get to the good place, right? Our tradition asks it like, what do I need to do on earth to be the best person I can be on earth? Thank you for that very much. I agree with that. To to your point about the season, I want to say again that you, you, the listeners, you may be listening to this at any time, and 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 we really think that in Judaism that this tshuva, as as Sari has termed it, and we've talked about before, is something for all the time. It's not just something for the for the Jewish New Year. I like the fact that that as we go along here, a lot of this is about recurring and repeating some of the texts and ideas. The show does it, and this is this is how we interact with these kinds of ideas by returning to them. You're already, Sari, quoting some things which we've talked about on the podcast in the small number of episodes that have been there already, and I think it's a richness in just going back and forth over them. And, um, and I also want to just remind people who might be listening that if we just play around with these ideas and they, uh, they get us thinking at all, like that's good enough, we certainly don't imagine that there are answers. And, and I didn't start this off, the concept of the podcast, with a kind of curriculum or a master plan. <laughs> I don't really know where that's going or if at the end I'll say, yeah, I'm so glad I studied philosophy for this year because <laughs> I got this out of this and that out of that. You know, And the question of whether those philosophies are Jewish ideas you know if we get score which ones give us uh, give us better value I have I have no idea what we're gonna what we're gonna result with is there a teacher you want to tell us about Sari who helped you start to think about issues of ethics or ethical philosophy so as I said philosophy was never my love um, but I will just I just want to honor um, Rabbi Richard Levy of blessed memory who was not a philosophy teacher he was a literary teacher and uh, really like a Rebbe for, for a lot of us, but, but his sort of unwavering commitment to ethical behavior and really like his gentle way of asking the question and, and, and asking us to confront ethical questions is something that I sort of strive to emulate in, in the world. So I will, I will honor him, not necessarily as like a classroom teacher of ethical philosophy, but as someone who lived ethically. Sari, thank you so much for coming Thanks, on and doing this. Thanks, this was fun. I hope we'll do this again. 
And there it is, another chapter of Tov. Thank you for letting us tag along for part of your day. If you'd like to see the Jewish texts we talked about or follow your nose to something else Jewish, we've got show notes and links at tovgoodplace.com. That's T-O-V, good place, no spaces. You can find Rabbi Sari Laufer on Twitter, at Rabbi Laufer, and I'm at RabbiJS3 and RabbiJohn.net. If you've enjoyed this podcast, pass it along and follow us on social media at Tove Good Place. If you have ideas for how the podcast can be better in any way, email me at tove at tovegoodplace.com. Thank you to my home base, Temple Beth Abraham in Nashua, New Hampshire, tbanashua.org. If you're in the neighborhood, say hi or join us online anytime. Once again, thank you for listening. Now go learn more about something good. Bum, 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 bum.